Top of the hour is being brought to you by DuckDuckGo, Privacy Simplified, and this segment is being brought to you by CarX, Tire, and Auto. Ray, let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. 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 Sox Machine. Josh Nelson, co-host of the Sox Machine podcast. The White Sox are going to need another starting pitcher to get through the 2022 season and the 162-game marathon. So Rick Hahn's work is not done. The Internet's longest-running White Sox podcast. What is their biggest concern right now? That Lurie Garcia is playing way too much. (laughs) Amen and hallelujah. SoxMachine.com. We're all White Sox fans here. I know this is the home of the Chicago Cubs. We're all rooting for this team to make it to the World Series. There's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows, and it's all about trying to find that middle ground. Josh Nelson with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. We want machine. Socks machine. That's right. We love when we talk with our guys from the Socks Machine podcast and SocksMachine.com. They do a great job of telling you what's happening now, what's going to happen in the future, and for sure what's happened in the past. Josh Nelson wants to talk to you about the White Sox. So I'm going to cede the floor to him after I tell you that he joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Josh, how are you today? It's been a week, Lawrence. It has been a week for the White Sox. All right, this is what I want to talk about. Okay. Go back to the top of the eighth inning, and Joe Kelly is falling apart. And being at the game, I am seeing Tanner Banks warming up in the bullpen, thinking that, all right, Larusa is planning for Banks to face Anthony Rizzo, go lefty versus lefty for that matchup. The bad news would be the Yankees would have the lead if it came to that, but at least Larusa is getting prepared. Kelly's last batter is going to be Aaron Judge. No. No, he allows Kelly to face Rizzo, walks him on four pitches, and then he calls in Tanner Banks to face John Carl Stanton. Lawrence Holmes, the Chicago White Sox are the only professional team, I don't care what sport it is, on planet Earth and probably 85% of the multiverse that would allow a left-handed reliever to face John Carl Stanton. And that's how you go from 9-7 to losing to down 14-7 to real quick. And the game becomes a laugher. I, I still can't believe I saw that last night, and it reminded me when Robin Ventura was managing the White Sox. Ooh, that's not a great comp to make managerially. Uh, if we're talking about the tenure of one Robin Ventura, it, it was a. It, it, I was sitting there flabbergasted by it too. And there's been a couple of those this week where you go, "Did you have your bullpen set?" And what was your strategy? That's that's mm-hmm. what I keep finding myself thinking when I see some of these moves by TLR. Like, what was the strategy in it? What were you thinking? How were you going to be able to get out of this mess that you had gotten yourself into? And I'm having a hard time, like, kind of following the logic train of it. I'm with you, and I think what it boils down to, and Jim covered this yesterday on SoxMachine.com, the bullpen is taxed. There are guys that are taking on too much of the workload right now, and the guys that 
can afford to throw more innings are the ones that you do not want to throw in high leverage situations. That's your Tanner Banks. That's your Ryan Burr. And both times that they have came out this week against Cleveland and New York, and they get blown up. They give up big home runs. Uh, so, and the ones that everyone's claiming for, well, where's Matt Foster? Where's Kendall Graveman? Like, they're on pace to throw more than 80 games this year. And you don't want to burn them out in May if you want them for the stretch run in late August through September and, of course, have them ready for the postseason. So you need other guys to step up in the bullpen. But in this stretch here for the White Sox, they got Vince Velasquez going on the mound. He doesn't go deep into games. You got Dallas Keuchel on Saturday. I have no idea what to expect there. I love the stuff that Michael Kopech's been throwing, Lawrence, but he's not going deep into games. Then you got five games in four days at Kauffman Stadium. It's almost like, Lawrence, they need to pull a card of what the Los Angeles Dodgers do and start sending guys on Phantom IL and bring up other guys that are on the 40-man roster, fresh arms of the bullpen. It's not so much about quality. I mean, who is alive right now that can throw a baseball? The, the White Sox taxed <laughs> out their bullpen so much during that six-game winning streak, and they really needed that six-game winning streak. But right now, for Tony Russa, he's looking at that bullpen, and in a way, I agree with him. I can't use my A-plus guys when we're down 9-7 to seven in hopes of trying to win one or maybe two games this weekend against the best team in Major League Baseball. So, sorry, Tanner Banks, you're going to need to eat it. But my problem is that LaRusso should have brought in Banks to face Rizzo. It made no sense to have Kelly face Rizzo. And if Banks does face Rizzo in another universe and gets Rizzo out, at least you're down 9-7. to seven. At least you can keep it within striking distance. The, the fact that it just turned into a complete meltdown last night in the eighth inning is unacceptable, and I find it to be poor managing. Josh, when it comes to the White Sox, Rick Hahn has brought up the concept of the, the measuring stick and, and, and trying to figure out where his team is in comparison to some of the better teams. Obviously, they're playing the best or second best, depending on whether you think it's Yankees or Dodgers right now. Where are they deficient? Where And where do they measure up with the good teams? So the before the game last night, I was watching the Twins and the Houston Astros to get to gauge on where Houston is at because Houston's on an incredible run. I think they've won ten straight games now, and they've only allowed a uh, in those ten games. They are playing phenomenal baseball. And when I was watching Houston in that series against the Twins earlier this week, the Twins were simply outclassed. They're not on the same level as the Houston Astros which enters in my mind, this White Sox team got swept in Minneapolis. So I'm not looking forward to that series in Houston uh, when the White Sox visit the Astros. The, the Astros, even though they lost Carlos Correa, Jeremy Pena has been excellent for them. And he, and he may be the front runner to win American League Rookie of the Year right now. Uh, he's been excellent. So this Houston Astros team is incredibly strong. And they may be a bit stronger than they were last year when they whooped up on the White Sox and they won the American League pennant. That's a scary thought to think about as a White Sox fan. Then you watch last night, and you just see on how the Yankees' offense works, and they make you work. Yes, Dylan C's got 11 strikeouts last night in four innings, but his pitch count was way high. He was not going to last deep into the game. And when he made mistakes, he got burned. I mean, DJ LeMayhew and John Carl Stanton really saw C's well. LeMayhew hit two doubles off C's. And, of course, John Carl Stanton, 
hit two home runs. When you make a mistake against these great teams, pitching-wise, the Yankees and the Astros, they hurt you. And they make games out of reach early. And they don't stop with this patient approach. They force you to throw pitches in the strike zone. And they understand, Lawrence, of what pitches that they can drive. Unlike the White Sox offense, which, yeah, they have plenty of pop, but they're not a very disciplined team, especially when you compare one through nine in each lineup. So that's one problem is that the White Sox offense just doesn't have the same type of firepower as the New York Yankees do. The White Sox starting pitching is very good, but I think they're going to continue to struggle against deep lineups like the Yankees have. And like I mentioned, the Houston Astros. And of course, if the starting pitching struggles and they can't go deep, well, then the bullpen's going to be taxed. And I'm really curious on how the rest of this series is going to go if this bullpen is tired. We could see more laughers later this weekend, which is obviously not fun as a White Sox fan. And what it boils down to when you look at the projection models that have been updated after last night's game, Sangraft's views the Chicago White Sox as an 84-78 and 78 win team in 2022 that would be incredibly disappointing based on the conversations we had preseason, but they still think they're going to win the American League Central with 84 wins, which is laughable. Baseball prospectus is a little bit on the high side for the White Sox or higher than Fangraphs. Baseball prospectus thinks that the White Sox will finish 89 and 73 and still win the Central. But the New York Yankees are projected to win 97 games in the Fangraphs model and 103 games in the baseball prospectus model. We know the Yankees are going to be there in October. We know that the Astros are going to be there in October. If this is truly a World Series or bust type of season, Lawrence, for the White Sox in 2022, those are the two teams you got to circle right now and ask yourself, how do we improve this roster to be better than those two teams? And if there's just not enough prospects in the farm system to pull off a big move, if it's our team is on the field, and we're hoping that the core players step up. Right now, they are outclassed. This is a team that's good enough to win the American League Central, but I'm not buying them being an American League contender uh, to win the pennant and make it to the World Series. I just view this Yankees and Astros team too strong. Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine joining me for the weekly Sox Machine hit. We love talking with him and Jim about what's going on with the White Sox. When you look at this team, and all of the deficiencies, some of the issues that they have right now, an overtaxed bullpen, defense being really bad, inefficient offense up and down the lineup, strategy from inside of the dugout. Which one of those things are you most confident will correct itself as the season goes on? Oh, man. The bullpen. And the reason why I'll go with the bullpen not being so taxed is the hope that when Lance Lynn returns, that the White Sox for four straight days are going to get at least six innings per start from Giolito, Cease, Lynn, and Kopech. And that's going to give the bullpen a breather. That's going to give the bullpen a time to relax a little bit. And if they're not as taxed so much, then they could go back stringing wins together where they're winning four to three ball games. And we're seeing Liam Hendricks go out three straight days and picking up the save. That's the most I'm confident in strategy. I'm just going to set that aside. Uh, Cause I, I just don't know with Tony La Russa 
nothing has really changed. And quite frankly, I'm not seeing much of a difference between him and Rick Renteria when it comes to end-game decision-making. The offense. So in the month of May so far, Lawrence, we're seeing Tim Anderson continue to rake. Luis Robert is having a very good month. Larry Garcia is having a very good month of May. Seven-game hit streak for Leary, right? That got him above yeah. 200. Yeah, he's he's hitting well. And Makata had that big home run off a 99-mile-per-hour pitch. That is key because he did not hit velocity very well last year. It appears that his bat speed is back. That's a great sign. But the White Sox really need Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal to start showing some life. Grandal doesn't have an extra base hit this month. Jose Abreu, he hits the ball hard, but he hits it into the ground. Like, there's no value for a 35-year-old first baseman to hit hard ground balls. Like, you're hoping to get singles out of this? He needs to start hitting the ball in the air to take advantage of those exit velocities and start getting some doubles or start hitting some home runs. The White Sox really need to see some life from those two sluggers in the middle of the order. Because if they don't, and they continue to struggle... It'll be great to get Andrew Vaughn in the mix, and it'll be great to get Eloy Jimenez back in the mix. It sounds like Jimenez may be rejoining the team sometime in June. But it goes back to the La Russa strategy here. If the young kids are hitting and they're slugging, at what point do you drop the veterans down in the lineup? Or because you're stuck in your old ways, Jose Abreu must bat third, even though Andrew Vaughn's the better hitter right now. That's These are the questions we're going to have to start asking ourselves if – Things do not pick up from Abreu and Grandal. And if Vaughn comes back, and he may be coming back this weekend, as Mark Gonzalez was reporting on Twitter, that Vaughn may be on the move from Charlotte to Chicago to rejoin the team this weekend, that it's okay for La Russa to shuffle up. I don't think you're going to break Jose Abreu's heart if you drop him in the order. Abreu just needs to understand you're not that guy. And there's going to be some type of transition soon with this organization anyways. Let the ones that are hitting get those plate appearances with the guys on base. Every time that I I look at Jose Abreu over the last couple of weeks, I go, man, he needs a day off. Like it just, it looks like a guy who is pressing and trying to hit a a four run home run when nobody's on base and all that stuff. Over the last seven games, he's slashing 188, 182, 344 for the season. Jose Abreu, yeah. 207, 282, 615. So yeah. it's, it, and, and you're watching his at bats, and then you have the situation with, with the, the losing, uh, the, the run coming across because he wasn't necessarily paying attention to what was happening at third base. And you go, maybe this is a guy that needs a day off, that needs to just not do anything for, for a day or maybe two days. And, and and get himself right, hopefully get himself right. Yeah, because we can't wait until August to bray you, right? We can't wait until the month of August to see Jose Bray snap out of it. This, it's just been so long during his entire career. When the, war, when the weather warms up, so does Jose Abreu. Well, Lawrence, the weather has been warm in Chicago all week, and we're just not seeing any sign of life from Jose Abreu. And it happens. Not every slugger gets to age like Nelson Cruz and continues to hit bombs in their late 30s to their early 40s. At some point, age regression is going to hit Jose Abreu. Is that happening right now? Maybe it's a little early to tell, but if this continues through Memorial Day weekend and goes into June, I don't know what the White Sox are going to do with Abreu, but when it comes to trying to make their offense more efficient, 
it'd be time to drop a Brady down in the order and allow the guys that are hitting for power to hit higher in the order so you score more runs. How much of what Vince Velasquez has done well do you believe? I believe he can pitch well against – I think he can pitch well for three to four innings. I do not think he's a guy you want to face in order for the third time. And because of that, it's going to be really tough for him to be a dependable fifth starter. I am a bit worried on how tonight is going to go for Vince Velasquez. Maybe he does well for the first time to the order, but as the Yankees pick up on his pitches, and the Yankees were very prepared against Dylan Cease, it's just that Dylan Cease was throwing some really good stuff last night, and that's why he got 11 strikeouts. But when he missed, the Yankees knew exactly where he was going to miss, and they made him pay. For Velasquez, it's going to be tonight the key is how is he doing through the second time to the order and if he collapses, then what do the White Sox do? I don't know about the health status of Ronaldo Lopez, if he's available tonight to pick up some innings, if Velasquez has to go out in the third inning. But I, I think eventually at some point, Lawrence, because the White Sox have to make a decision officially on Johnny Cueto, that Velasquez ultimately is going to be in the bullpen, and then maybe his stuff plays up better when he's throwing an inning or two innings but I'm not buying that he is a dependable fifth starter, if that answers your question. Do you trust the Twins? Well, the Houston Astros may gave me hope uh, that the White Sox can catch the Twins. What was fascinating about that series is that the Twin starters only lasted 10 innings against the Houston Astros, and they threw 240 pitches, Lawrence. They, they were averaging 24 pitches an inning. Wow. Uh, Chris Paddock going on the 60-day IL is a gut punch for them. So perhaps this is where we're going to start seeing the starting pitching fall off for the Minnesota Twins starting to regress. They don't got the bullpen. Uh, their bullpen is not as good as the White Sox. So on the pitching front, it's going to be a struggle. So it really boils down to the offense. Can you neutralize Byron Buxton? Can you stop Buxton from hurting you? Because if you can then there's a good chance you can limit this Twins lineup to two to four runs, and that puts you into a position to win many games against the Minnesota Twins. I buy the projection systems that currently look at the Twins as an 82-85 to win team. I think they're an above 500 team. The White Sox should still beat them in the American League Central, but the Twins are not going to make it easy on the White Sox. I don't think they're going to fade so much that they're a mid-70s win team. And who knows, they do have the prospect depth to make a crazy move to grab another starting pitcher. If they still believe they can win the American League Central, they can go and get someone like Frankie Montas, for example, to try to bolster their bullpen. So while I think they will fade, I don't think they'll fade enough where they will not make it easy. They, they will not make it easy on the White Sox to win the Central in 2022. I expect them to be there in the end all the way to the final series of the regular season in Chicago. What's coming up on Sox Machine, the podcast, and SoxMachine.com? Yeah, so for we're going to be recapping the Yankee series, which should be a blast. Uh, Johnny Cueto, we're going to be talking about him and how he's going to fit into the starting rotation as the White Sox have some roster decisions to make. And we're expecting Cueto to start the second game of that uh, doubleheader on Tuesday in Kansas City. It's going to be a lot of focus on the pitching, just where the state of the bullpen is, and how 
Cueto fits into the starting rotation and how Rick Hahn and Tony LaRusso are going to shuffle the pitching rotation and see how they do in Kansas City before they go visit the Yankees and the Bronx next weekend. Josh, as always, man, I appreciate the time. You weren't as angry as I thought you would be. I thought you were going to be a little bit angrier, but I'm okay with that because you came with with all the facts that you could muster about this White Sox team, and it's appreciated. And, Lawrence, I don't want someone from 35th and Shields screaming at you and Mitch Rosen to never have me on the radio again. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get a beer, and then I'll really tell you how I feel. Well, how about this? If things are still going like this in two weeks when we have you back on the show, uh, I got you. I got your back. Don't worry about that part of it, okay? All right. Sounds good. That is Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine. Sox Machine. And the Sox Machine podcast. Don't worry, man. You're not going to get in trouble for telling people the truth around here. So this is the score, man. This is how we do it. I have not had a chance to really go into the Bears schedule. Ray, do people want me to talk about the Bears schedule? It, it's, I, I guess because I bet the ratings for that show dropping was pretty big. Do, people want, do you want to hear about the Bears schedule? You could say no. I'm totally fine with that. Oh, of course, Lawrence. Of course I want to hear about it. Come See, on. I, between, Bears, baby. Between you and Josh, I got two guys that are out here trying to tell me what they think I want to hear instead of what I actually want to hear. Fine. We'll talk about the Bears schedule next here on The Score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Bears. Yesterday was schedule release day in the NFL, which means you as the Bears fan got your first opportunity to look at the Bears schedule. And then you can look at it and say, they're totally going to be 5-12 or 6-11 this upcoming season. Or you can do what Steve Rosenblum likes to do, 0-17 or 17-0. couple things to note from the schedule. The Bears have three national games. Two of them are back-to-back and realize that they can, if they're surprisingly good, they can be flexed into some other high-profile spots. This type of schedule I like. Lots of noon kicks for the Bears. We can get our analysis on and get on with the rest of our day and the rest of the NFL day in most of these The national games for your Chicago Bears. Week two at Green Bay. Sunday night football. Why does Sunday night football keep doing this to the Bears? Week one last year, right? Week one against the Rams last year. Week two against Green Bay. Great. Although, if you are them, your best time to grab the Chicago audience, which usually pulls in a big number for NBC, is early in the season. And who knows? Maybe the Bears win that opener against I can't even I can't even. But yes, if you're NBC and you're looking at when can we schedule market 3. Week 2 against their hated rival, book it. The other national games that the Bears have, they have a Thursday night game against the Commanders, which is really the worst possible name other than the one that they had that they could have come up with. They play a Thursday night game, and then 
They get a Monday night game at the Patriots the week after that. And then the rest of the games are noon starts. The bye is super late. The bye is week 14. I mean, we could all use a break in December from the Bears, I imagine. But there will be some of us that I think would be like, can we just get the season over with? Why wasn't there bye in week five? Here's when I looked at the Bears' schedule. And this is the way that I look at scheduling now until we know who the teams are and what they are. And, and Joe Ostrowski explained yesterday, look, the, if there are quirks in the schedule that give betters an edge, great. I look at it as, to me, the only real reason why the, the actual schedule comes out. Because we know who they're playing. Why it matters to the listeners of the score, the people that are watching me on Twitch. Hello, y'all. Travel. That's how I look at it. Like, If you're like, okay, well, I want to go see the game against the Packers. Perfect. This is a perfect opportunity to go to Green Bay in September. Do you know when you don't want to go to Green Bay? Any other month. In the calendar football schedule link. I'm not saying that you don't want to visit Green Bay in like May. Go right ahead. I think everyone should go to Green Bay at least once. But usually you want to go there when there's a football game. Because otherwise, should we just pick a random suburb to like to like, like pick on? Otherwise, it's like going to Itasca. I love you, Itasca. I was just trying to make a point. Going to Green Bay in September is fantastic. I look at this and see no great trips for the Bears outside of the division. The, the place that the Vikings have is pretty great. I think people should go see it. I'm a fan of Detroit, and there's a renaissance going on in downtown Detroit. It's easy. It's a 45-minute flight. You get back before you left. But other than that, maybe the Dallas trip in October. I did want to hate Jerry World when I first visited it. I went to go cover a Bears-Dallas game. And I was like, man, this place is a monstrosity. And I remember driving up and seeing it from five miles away. And I was like, that thing looks like the Death Star. And I wanted to hate it so bad. Ray, I walked into that place going, this place is going to be completely opulent and ridiculous. I walked into that place like, man, this is how you do it. If you're going to build something, this is the way that you want it built. So if you want to hang out in Dallas at the end of October, I think that's a good call. I think that's probably the best trip that is on here. I can't see another one that I would want to make. I guess you could spend a weekend in Atlanta, but that could be real pricey if you know what I'm saying. You could have a lot of fun there. Bring singles. I don't mean people. I mean bills. You can have a lot of fun. You can eat real good in Atlanta. But other than that, that's the thing about this. Like, There's no like sexy trip. This Texas says New England. Really? You do un- the 
They're in Foxborough. Like, that's not, why would you, and Tom's not there anymore? That's not a great trip. I guess you could make the argument you could go to New England and see the, the leaves changing. I'm, I'm Ray, I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, here you go. You, you got to watch a Bill Belichick game be coached in person. There you go. No. That, no. That doesn't no, do that it doesn't for do me. It for you. <laughs> that doesn't do it for me. But that's that's my biggest takeaway. Is that ordinarily like there's some fun trip where you can go, oh, the the Bears are playing in Arizona and the game is in the winter. Great. I'll go out there. Or the Bears are in Las Vegas. That was last season. How great would that be to go to Las Vegas and hang out at Circa Resort and Casino? Home of the world's largest sportsbook, by the way. Or the Bears are going to go to New Orleans. Can't go wrong with a trip to New Orleans. And you look up and you see the Bears are playing Miami at Soldier Field. So that's the way that I look at it. Like when the White Sox schedule comes out, I go, oh, what trip might I take this year? When are they playing Kansas City so I could go to the Negro League Museum? Or perhaps I want to go and watch baseball in Toronto. When they change the way the schedules are done next year, it'll be different. Maybe I want to go see Joe Madden at at Angel Stadium. Go out to L.A. But with the Bears schedule, particularly this year, fam, there's there's nothing great here on it. And that makes me sad because I don't feel like the Bears are going to be very good. But at least what people could do is be like, hey, I'm out here repping my team. I'm in a warm climate in the winter. The Super Bowl's in Arizona. You could try to book a trip out there if you want. I don't think the Bears will be there playing in it, I mean. Am I am I stepping out on too weak of a limb to say that, Ray? No, I, I wouldn't say so. No. Now, did we look at the preseason games? How about that? How about that? All right. What we got for the preseason games? Because I haven't even Seattle. Looked. Okay. Yeah, that'd be fun. Seattle in August might be fun. And that's it, right? Uh, and then... Cleveland it's always Cleveland the, the the Bears and the Browns I I love it for them because it makes all the sense in the world another one of those 45 minute flights it's a team that you don't play great do your 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 preseason thug fizzle and it's and that's it you like it you think Cleveland's cool I mean I never heard anybody say I'm going to Cleveland on vacation okay Joe Keem's right but I will tell you, when I went for Erlacher's Hall of Fame induction, I stayed in Cleveland and then drove to Canton. It's like an hour. I really liked Cleveland. But I like Detroit, so I'm a bad person to ask about these things. I'm looking for something a little bit different in my sports traveling experience. This texture says next year's travel is better. Kansas City, Los Angeles, Tampa Bay, New Orleans guaranteed. Great. And depending on when you play Tampa, Tampa's a fun place to go hang out in November, December. And New Orleans is just fun all the time. 
But the is way that, uh, is that Danny Parkins texting in with the extra early schedule leak? Oh, he he is the the leak king. He is the schedule leak king. Getting those things real early now. You know, you got to hey, he knows the right people and he's getting people. The thing is that Danny's leak ability would be great for trips that you'd want to take. And now there's a bunch of them this season that you you kind of don't. Which sets up for a really, really like sad bear season. Man, I, it'd be nice if they were good, but we kind of all know that they won't be. You know why? Because they signed the Peter Man. Shout out to Bomani Jones. This is his line. They signed the Peter Man. Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman. The author of one of the worst quarterback games in the history of football. The Peter Man. There are other choices, man. There are other choices than the Peter Man. I mean, is this not the biggest indictment of the NFL? I know you're probably never going to get down to your third stringer, hopefully. But the, the, the fact that this guy is still in the league. Ray. And look who's not. You ain't said nothing but a word. You ain't said nothing but a word. This texture says everybody knocks it, but I enjoyed Detroit. I'm with you. Last summer, I went to go see the White Sox play the Tigers. I had an incredible time in downtown Detroit. And and then you know what? On the way back, I hit up Ann Arbor. Man, I really wanted to go to the University of Michigan when I was in high school. And I've always kind of had a lot of affection for Ann Arbor. I had a wonderful time. Had some great food. People were nice in Ann Arbor. Was able to walk around. Because, you know, the kids were gone for the most part. But again, I'm different. I dig Detroit. Downtown Detroit. Like, very specifically, downtown Detroit. But it's grown in, in, in ways over the last decade that I don't think people understand. And I, the thing I like about Detroit, like, as a sports fan, it's super convenient. You can get a hotel downtown, and you can walk to Ford Field, and it's right there. You can walk to Comerica Park. I don't know what the name of the place is. It's not Joe Lewis anymore, the, the Red Wings play. But all that stuff is walkable from downtown. It's convenient. So, yes, there are no fun trips outside of Dallas. Maybe. You need to go see the stadium. And Dallas can be fun. It could also be awful. But there's my schedule talk for this week. There are my thoughts on the, the Bears schedule. Bears. That's right. Thank you. It's Little Caesars Arena. Yes, because you can get Little Caesars pizza at Comerica. And I was with some friends at Comerica that were like, oh, why do they have Little Caesars pizza? Well, because the guy owns the... Why don't they have other pizza? Because the guy who owns Little Caesars owns, and you try to explain it, and they're like, whatevs. All right. So there you go. This Texas, New York in October can be fun. Not more fun than Chicago in October. You know what I'm saying? Plus, who are you going to go? I mean, you're really going to go watch either New York team. And here's the you, thing. You know, come on. Here's the thing, Ray. Guess where that stadium's at? It's in New Jersey. It's not in New York. And it's not fun getting in and out of that. 
You talk about people complaining about getting in and out of Soldier Field. Enjoy East Rutherford, New Jersey. Back after this in the score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. When I was younger, I really enjoyed practice. And if you're watching on Twitch, I'm literally wearing like an Allen Iverson shirt today. But I really enjoyed particularly infield practice from my time of playing little league to playing summer league ball to playing college stuff. I always love the work that went into practicing to get ready for the game. I, I found it calming in a way. And that's some of the stuff that went on with me when I got fitted with the the new clubs that I got from the PGA Tour Superstore out in Vernon Hills. I found myself doing the thing that will eventually drive me crazy when playing golf. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'll be able to overcome this mental hurdle. Shout out to my guy, Ralph, who was super patient with me as we were trying out clubs and we're trying out different things and and the thing happened where he'd be like, all right, well, we have enough to go make your club. And I'd be like, I, can I hit a couple more? And he's like, sure. So it already, like, the thing has started to happen again. And I know, like, I'm already planning whether it's early Sunday morning or early tomorrow morning when I'm going to hit up 63rd Street and go to the driving range there and start working on stuff. I'm actually more excited about that than golfing with anybody other than my uncle George. I want to see if I can convince him to come out of retirement and and take me golfing, but the thing's happening and I appreciate you all feeding into it on Twitter and Instagram yesterday. I'm definitely going to be one of those golf crazy people until I drive myself crazy. I'll talk with Parkins and Spiegel next here on The Score. We're talking about practice, man.